0: Uh, my name is uh, Richard Krausen, as, as Jason introduced. Uh, we do know, introduced me, we know a lot of people here. Um, first, I want to introduce my lovely wife. Where's Amber? All right Raise your hand. There you go. My much better half. I can say without question, without that beautiful woman, I would not be here. Redemption Hill would not exist. I don't know where I'd be in life, okay? <laughs> Praise God for great wives, amen? But also, on a personal level... Um, there 's not a single person in this building who 's here who 's more indebted to a single church than I am there 's no there 's no question uh, not there 's a contest for that or anything, but I, I really am indebted. A lot of wonderful things that have happened to me that God has um, blessed me with personally have come. Through Longview Point Baptist Church, I I I've, I was not a part of the original core group as mentioned. I did join personally in January of 2003. So I preached some of my first sermons at the old hardware store. They weren't um, they weren't great. I'm going a little better now. I hope. I think so. We pray so. Um, had a lot of great opportunities. Um, I, I, I performed a couple weddings here. I got ordained here, and of course, the greatest thing is I got married in this very building. So. This is a huge, huge uh, time for me to be able to preach to you guys because, other than Redemption Hill Church, this is the church we're planting in Sioux City, Iowa. Um, I, I don't love any other congregation more than this one. Um, we've been, we have been. Um, commissioned twice from this church. Once to go pastor a wonderful church, Crossroads Church in South Haven, and now to go plant in Sioux City. So the history of Richard Krause and Amber Krause with Longview Point is is vast, and so it's a great honor to be here. But with that comes, I think, a responsibility on my part. When Jason talked to me about coming to preach, I realized I wanted to make sure I did a really good job. (laughs) So I had about four sermons prepared. This is pretty bad. If Pastors are like this. They, first, I want to make sure, okay, what if somebody, heaven forbids, goes and preaches something I have prepared? What am I going to do? So I'll have that ready. And then secondly, I had, I, I had them ready to see. I wanted to see kind of as I, as I prayerfully got around in the conference and the tables, what would kind of fit today? What, what would make sense today? And I, I think I think we were able, the Holy Spirit led me to identify something that I hope can, um, can sort of uh, scratch an itch that I think maybe that he's trying to show us. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Peter, book of First Peter. Now, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, okay? So listen beforehand. I am going to—I have three verses I'm going to be anchored in, okay? Three verses. And I'm going to bounce around a little bit, but I'm going to stay in 1 Peter, okay? So I'm going to be in three series of verses, but all in 1 Peter. So just, just bear with me. At the very end, I promise you I'll bring it all together. Turn to the book of 1 Peter, right after James, right before 2 Peter. The reason why I selected this book to preach is because my time as pastor of Redemption Hill Church, when you're planning a church that's in a, to be fair, a a tough ground, Sioux City is a wonderful place to live. We are blessed beyond measure, but it's tough. Uh, The gospel has not gone forth a lot. Um, There's a lot of false teaching, there's um, even on occasion persecution. So it's a learning experience. It's some things that I've never, I've never really dealt with as a pastor. Um, a lot of stories that we've had to, to work through, a lot of things. And what God has done with me is he has kind of led me through, uh, in the Word of God, to, to certain books that I camp out on. The first Peter for the last year and a half has kind of been it. I'm going to preach it um, probably next year after I finish the Gospel of Mark and in our, in our, in our ministry there. But it's just kind of become a friend. When, when, you, when you're a preacher and you're going through books of the Bible, books become friends to you. <laughs> you can sort of put stages of life with books that you're preaching through. And First Peter's become, first two years of Redemption Hill Church planning in a foreign soil, it feels like sometimes 13 hours away, has been the book that God has flagged into my heart. And so I hope to be able to project to you some of the things that God has taught me. There's probably not a book of the Bible, at least in the New Testament, where the setting is more important in the book of 1 Peter. What you have in 1 Peter is you have the Church of Jerusalem, that's the audience, Peter is writing, the Apostle Peter is writing a letter to the Church of Jerusalem that has been scattered because of persecution. This book falls late 1st May, 1st century A.D. It's about two and a half centuries away from the fall of Rome. Jerusalem is part of this time of the Roman Empire. Rome has past its apex of influence meaning it's it's really huge it's its largest point in history but it's past its apex meaning that morally and its influence is starting to wane what that means is it's big it's vast and you can start seeing holes in the crumble of the empire in jerusalem The city, once the apple of God's eye, is just kind of this outpost of the Roman Empire, a one-horse town. It once had great influence with various people in the world, particularly with the Jews, but to the Romans who are sweeping through to giant cities all over the Mediterranean, all over the world, Jerusalem doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, Jerusalem was a punishment. When Roman soldiers would, would flee from war, they would send them to Jerusalem as a punishment. Because Jerusalem was seen an outpost, almost, almost, uh, almost out uh, a city, a one-horse town no one wanted to go to. But Jerusalem was seen that way also because there's this thing that always happened. See, Jerusalem was the city of the Jews. And the Jews had this, this thing that they, they claimed that there's this Messiah who's going to come and free their people. And for centuries, they, there'd be these candidates for Messiah would pop up, and they, they'd create a little following, a little almost like a cult, and then they'd be knocked down. The government would shut them down, or they would die, or they'd be killed, or they'd just get boring if you would go to the next cult leader. So every generation or so, you would hear stories about, oh, there's somebody else claiming to be the great Jewish Messiah. He's going to come and rescue the Jews, and then he'll disappear. But there's this one that pops up. They say he's from a little town called Bethlehem. Nazareth. Taught great things. He was executed by the Jews and by the Romans. And the followers popped up, like the rest of them. But they said something different about him. They said, this is Messiah, one, is the one true Messiah, and two, he is not dead, he is risen. And this little cult they call Christianity started spreading and spreading and spreading all over Jerusalem. And the Jews who held on to their Jewish faith don't like it because they're wrong, they don't believe the Messiah has come. So they begin persecuting the Christians. Now, they're not really killing them. The Romans will do that a few generations later. But they're chasing them out of their homes. They're taking away their jobs. They're making them pay something for their faith. I recommend you hear about that. Walk around some of these folks around these tables here. They'll, they'll tell you about that. We've heard stories, haven't we? It goes on today. Being chased out of their homes. Paying the price for Faith. When we come to chapter 1 of 1 Peter, what we see is Peter writing to this church, telling them Chapter 1, he says, listen, you have a treasure in heaven. That treasure is Christ. That treasure will not fade. You have a home in heaven. It will not go away. You have the promises of God that the salvation has been brought to you is of God. The ones in the Old Testament that preached about it were speaking about Jesus. Church of Jerusalem, Christians in Jerusalem, hold on to the gospel. Hold on to the gospel. Do not waver. And for the missionaries who are here... Hold on to the gospel, amen. We get to 1 Peter chapter 2, and this is the first set of verses I want to look at. Peter just doesn't just, he doesn't just encourage them, but he gives them a mission. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. He tells the church, he says but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy one little verse here one little section of the verse he goes beyond telling them Stand fast. Don't waver. To putting an incredible mission on them. He says, you have been called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Proclaim. Words. Very similar to the word for preach. Preach. There's this idea that only preachers preach sermons, maybe. But this letter is being written to the people of Jerusalem in 1 Peter. He tells them: listen, church, your calling is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. That's your mission. Endure, that's your mission. That's your mission. Proclaim the excellencies. What are the excellencies? It's wrapped up in the character of God. How wonderful God is. How beautiful God is. How magnificent God is. How holy God is. How sovereign God is. How just God is. But then at the end of the verse, he says, You once had received mercy, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Part of that excellency is the message that you proclaim the fact that you once were lost, now you're found. Once you were facing the wrath of God, now you have the peace of God. What is the excellency there to proclaim? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ with words. How do you do that? We use words, of course. But as we've come to this conference... We rest assured we have a sovereign and eternal God. God has this way of having thousands of ways to proclaim the gospel. Thousands of ways. We're sitting in the back there. We, we have the one of the gaudy purple and blue sign in the back, the vertical sign, yeah. Um, beautiful, isn't it? Go back and check that table just so you can see how wonderful my wife is. She she did all of that, okay? If I did it, it would just be a table back there, okay? Magnificent, all right? And you see where our church is about. We'll get into more of that in a second. But like all of you, I went around to these other tables and talked to a lot of the missionaries. And to hear the heartbeat, to hear the heartbeat of people who not only are leaving the comfort of America or the comfort of where they live, but putting themselves not only in the middle of losses as Levi shared, but in the middle of grave danger. I pray, but my heart beats because as a pastor, that's why I pray for Redemption Hill, right? They leave it for the gospel. They do it thousands of ways. For some, it's working in sex trafficking. For some, it's going and creating a church planting movement in India. For some, it's, it's going in and, and, and creating a home so, so men who are struggling in life can come and hear the gospel. For some, it's going and planting churches somewhere. For some, it's going to Belfouche, South Dakota and planting a church. Or Red Lodge, Montana. Or Sioux City, Iowa. There are thousands of ways that God calls us to proclaim the gospel, to be on mission. In our time in Sioux City, I have found that most of the people we're around in our congregation and just the friends we've met here, Christians, totally agree with that. They support ministries, they support missions, they, they do not as much as we all would like, of course, but never do enough, right? They understand it. They understand the importance of, of international missions and, and helping things like orphanages and, and, uh, and church planters. They understand that. We've been very graciously received by people, not even our own church. But there's something we forget. There's something we forget about missions, And often it is the things that happen between the calls to our missions. Here's what I mean. A lot of people pray. A lot of people want to be called by God to go and do incredible things for God. Please do that. As Pastor Wade said earlier, I know he prays that more people would be called out of this conference to go and share the gospel around the world. Like Darnell's last night, right? Sitting in a conference, one of these GICs, and both of them independently are told, you need to leave everything, move to, move to South America. We want more of that, don't we? Amen? But one of the things i to be aware of is that there are no superstar Christians. There's life between our calls of missions. Here's what I mean. Look down the text again. It says, he gives the calling, he gives the calling to go out and preach the gospel. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, A people for his own possession. He doesn't just say, go out and proclaim the gospel. That's the mission. That's the end game. But he reminds them. You are a chosen race. You've been called out. When you go back to the beginning of chapter 1, he says, you've been called out for the purpose of being thrown out into exile. You're a royal priesthood. What that means is you have the calling to go between man and God in prayer priesthood the believers and the great doctrines of the Protestant faith that we hold to. You've been called to a, as a holy nation. Christians, we've been called to be separate from the world and to proclaim Jesus in our lives. And we're God's own possession. Isn't it great that God has us no matter what we do if we're a believer? Amen? He says all of this because what he's about to do is he's about to give the mission to this church at Jerusalem. Yes, they will be scattered. They will take the gospel around the world. But he tells them to take the gospel where they are in their ordinary life. I don't know that. Chapter two. I'm just going to fly through this. Chapter verse thirteen. Going forward, he tells them to submit to authority, to submit to the emperor. The emperor of Rome was one who's in charge. He was never a good guy. Not until, not until many years later, would there ever be an emperor who'd even respect Christianity. He tells them to be subject to authorities. How many of you are familiar? We have a presidential election coming up. Anybody? Amen. <laughs> Eyewitness. I'm not going to preach on it, I promise, because everybody walk right out, okay? Go on Facebook, you'll learn everything about it, okay? Could you imagine the average Christian in the world we're in? If the president we didn't like or the candidate we didn't like got elected? Could we be subject to those authorities? He tells them to honor everyone, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, to honor the emperor. He tells servants, which better applies employees. Love your masters. Meaning meaning when you are an employee to an employer, show respect to them. Chapter 3, he goes down. He says, wives, love your husbands. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And then at the end of chapter 3, he says, suffer for the gospel of Christ. In no point in this passage does he say, Living for the gospel begins when you're called to be on missions overseas. Are you called? I pray a bunch of you are called. We were called. We're so thankful. But here's the reality, guys, and I guarantee missionaries who agree with this. What you do now will most likely be what you'll do there. There are a lot of people who say, oh, I'll be a great evangelist when I go to Africa. Redemption Hill my cousin to me and says, I want to I be an international missionary. I said, great. What's the first thing I got to do? I said, well, you know, start going, you know, pray about it and different things, you know, uh, contact this person, that person. I said, but let me ask you a question. What's your neighbor's names? Well, uh, I mean, they just moved there four years ago, so uh, I, don't, I don't know their name. <laughs> I try to be a nice pastor. I, think I try to be a nice guy. I'm like, listen, what you want is an adventure, okay? If you get called to be in an, and you will have the full support of this pastor. You have my word. But your next door neighbor needs Jesus too. And I said, look, here's the deal. You know this. When you go on a short term trip to Africa, I'm just using Africa, it's all over the world, right? Right? You know, you can have great impact, but you won't see those people again, probably, right? You come on back. But your neighbors, you're going to see every single day. When he's called, he calls a church to mission. The first thing he does, he says, go out in your life and live for Jesus, no matter how hard it is. Here's the next anchor verse I'm going to go to, chapter 3, verse 13. 13 through 16, chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Now, what a huge thing. He says, says, listen, he said, be good, right? Do what's right. So when you suffer, you'll suffer well. He says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. What does that mean? You go through, and and you make Jesus Christ the center of your life, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, this verse is one of these verses that gets pulled out of context. and kind of thrown up places, all right? A lot of times people take this verse, and they'll say, well, this is what we call an apologetics verse. Now, I'm a fan of apologetics. You go read What that means is you defend the faith with outside sources in the Bible. Uh, There's some good ones out there. Again, Os Guinness is one that I like. Josh McDowell, Hank Hanegraaff, a lot of good people there that edify the, edify the church, okay? But we take this and say, okay, we need to defend the faith, with outside sources, because we need to give evidence of the hope that lies within us. That's not what that verse is saying, guys. What it's saying is this, the evidence of the hope that lies within you is the fact that when you suffer, you still can maintain Christ as holy in your heart. It means that even when the emperor or federal government doesn't like who we are, doesn't like what we teach, doesn't like what we stand for, we still hold Christ as holy. That in the face of families that are being disintegrated and marriages being redefined, Husbands will love their wives, and wives respect their husbands. What does that have to do with proclamation? Are you saying that we're supposed to go out and present the gospel with our lives? I'm not saying that. You preach the gospel with words. When someone says, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words, I'm not saying that. If you're saying I'm saying that, you're calling me a liar. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is, you give credibility to your proclamation when Christ in your heart is holy. When you hold him as holy in your heart, that's when you give your gospel presentation, your proclamation, your preaching life. Look what it says. It says, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that's in you. We have... We have, a, we have our small group we call it, our church called, it's called Bell's Group. It's an acronym, B-E-L-L-S, it's an acronym. I didn't come up with it, I got it, Michael Frost He's a missiologist from South Africa. stands for, <clears throat> B is bless, E is eat, listen, uh, listen, learn, share. What that is, we challenge you to in our small group, be bless. We ask you to intentionally bless one person in the faith and outside the faith every week. E... This is good because we're Baptists. amen. Easy easy. We eat with one person in the faith and outside of the faith every week. We are we're good at that, amen? Yeah, okay. L listen. We pray for Sioux City 20 minutes every single week. Learn. I, I challenge them to, to read through the gospel every single week. Read through a, a chapter of the gospel. And share. We challenge them to invite one person to church. Or or share the gospel with one person every week. What we do is all obedience-based, all accountability-based. It's a lot of fun, too. Okay. Our people, Iowans are wonderful people. They're just not quite as gregarious as Southerners. Okay? You kind of have to get in with them before they really open up. We've done that. So when you challenge them, I want you to go and make a friend with somebody who's in the, you know, maybe in the office next to you, or we have people who work in a factory that that share, you know, a, a... work right next to you in the factory or whatever. I want you to go and, and, and invite them to go have a cup of coffee every week. Just get to know them. Wow, uh, that's really hard. It's a step of faith. It's, culturally, it's just not in what we see in Sioux City. Our little small group, it's about 10 now, so it's kind of a big small group, I guess. Um, they've all taken to it. It's so funny. see, they would go and they'll take someone... Uh, to have a cup of coffee maybe a donut in the morning and they'll, they'll pay for it so they bless and they eat that's two Richard I have two of them i bless and they eat I pay for it that's awesome and they'll start talking about life how's your kids are... and you can ask Amber if she can back me up on this gospel conversations fall out of people's mouth you know why? because they've never had anyone just love on them let's go have a donut together Let's go have a lunch together. How's your kids doing? How can I pray for you? We had one, one person that the, the focused hard, working where she was, had a ball she didn't like, just kept going forward and prayed that Christ be holy in her heart. Somebody came to her and said, you know, you really are the nicest person here. You're never sarcastic. You're, you're always on time. He says, why are you the way that you are? And she goes, that's the question that Richard wants us to get asked. (laughs) Does it happen all the time? It's a process, right? It's not magic. But the challenge we give them is not just go proclaim, 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 proclaim. You proclaim the gospel with words, amen? But you lead with your life. You lead with your life. What what we have is this mentality, unfortunately. At least I, I see it in Sioux City, and it's probably it's probably some here too, because everybody has it all over the country, really. Is there's levels of Christians. There are those people who are just regular Christians, right? We go to church, we we, we give an offering, we'll do some ministry here and there, but we go to, to work, we have kids, you just go to school, just do normal stuff. And there's super Christians. Those are those people who go overseas. Risk their lives or plant churches in Iowa, whatever, whatever we define it. In reality, wherever God calls you, that is your mission. Now, could God call you out of a quote unquote ordinary mission and move you to someplace else far away? Absolutely. Five years ago, they said, Richard, identify Sioux City on a map. I'd have no idea. I knew there were Sioux Falls, I'd heard of Sioux City. I had no idea what it was. I <laughs> had no clue. And now I'm planning a church there with my lovely wife. It's a mystery with God how he moves people. It's a mystery with God. But he doesn't. But remember, your life is not to be lived mission to mission, moment to moment. roller coaster ride high to high. That's not your life. God moves you to those big moments, those opportunities to do big things for God. Oh, praise God. There's a person at your workplace right next to you who needs to see somebody not get smart with their boss because they love Jesus more than their circumstances. There are a whole bunch of kids out there that need mom and dad to love them as much as any mission they would be called to, amen? There are wives out there that need their husbands to be all in. Which opens the door... For the proclamation of the gospel. Now, there's probably going to be some reaction. And say, "Well, what you're what you're saying is is that you're kind of calling us to like this ordinary life." Well, kind of, maybe a little bit. But turn with me to the book First Peter, chapter four, verse twelve. Now I'm. If you go read 1 Peter, what you'll see, as mentioned before, is that the proclamation of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel has been intertwined with everyday life. It says this, 1 Peter 4, 12, going forward, four twelve through 17. Beloved, it says beloved, it means the church. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. You may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because if the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. The context there are people in Jerusalem who are staying in Jerusalem. Facing intense persecution. Understand this, I am no conspiracy theorist, but it is very possible in the next 50 years we could look a lot like Jerusalem. Where we will stay here, some of us, some will go, many will stay. And the expectation for us will be to suffer well. It is now. We have people in our church who proclaim the gospel and are told they can't or lose their job. That's happened to somebody. There are people who are told where we live, religion and politics are off limits. So it was the first, first movement out the window. So they have to, with the context of life, live in such a way, pray in such a way, Go to God in such a way where their light shines to where you live a questionable life. I ask you a question, questionable life. Would you ever want to be told you have a questionable life? That's a negative, isn't it? That person's questionable. That's usually a negative, right? But as Christians, we want a questionable life. We want someone to say, what makes you the way that you are? And you're able to say, oh, just one thing. Christ is holy in my heart. That's why I can suffer well. That's why I can endure because of Christ. Understand this, there are many places in this world where that's how they have to go about their life. At least a couple things. One, let's praise God for the openness that we do have of the gospel in this country. You can go tell someone about Jesus and not be thrown in jail. Always amen that, right? But secondly, yesterday, Pastor pastor was talking to everybody. He said he wanted a lot of people to be raised up to be called out to mission all over the world. Amen, right? If all of you get called out to go move wherever to preach Jesus, we want that. Some of you are going to be here, though. Some of you may be called away. Some of you may be called to Africa or to Asia. Some you may be called to, to be stuck at a at Westlake Mall when when terrorists are coming in to attack. Some you may be called to start a home for, for men who need to be discipled. Some you may be going called to to help refugees know about Jesus, to help end sex trafficking all over the world, to plant a church in a Midwest city you've never been to before. So you. That may happen. That may happen. But I know this will happen. Tomorrow, you're going to go to work. Amen? But you're going to go to school. On Saturdays, you're going to go down the Grove of the Junction and watch teams play. Amen? You're going to go eat at restaurants. You're going to go to stores. You're going to go watch TV or eat meals with friends. You're going to go to the library. You're going to go to the post office. You are going to live an ordinary life. Don't waste that to think it's ordinary. It's not because our God is extraordinary. Leverage your life. You don't need, listen... Be called overseas if God calls you. But you've been called to be holy. You've been called by God as his own possession. That calling is enough to tell people about Jesus. In our church, our congregation, we had a whole we have 20 people, 25. I don't know how big it. That's about right. Counting everybody when they're there. <laughs> A lot of them had huge dreams. Have huge dreams of taking the gospel around the world. That's true. A lot of them don't even know their neighbors' names. A lot of them don't pray with their kids. A lot of them not gone to church in three or four years until they came to Redemption Hill. I... As a pastor, I foster their missions. I foster their love of the lost. I foster the fact they have the nations on their heart. But my gosh, what about those who are right in front of you? Sioux City has, we're the third Baptist church in Sioux City. There's a lot of churches. It's very under-gospeled. I I got a report recently, 70% of people in our city have been a church in a generation. It's a lot. <laughs> At least for us, the mission feels right when we walk out our apartment door. Stats for Hernando are, are more encouraging, there's no question. A few years ago, it says that half the people in the state of Mississippi do not go to church anywhere. I don't know what it is in Hernando, give or take that, I'm sure. Here's what that means, guys. When you come to these conferences, remember... The people who are on these walls, man, they are awesome. I mean, they, I, I, I can't even describe, I, I, I'm, I am enthralled by what they do. Please understand that. But they're ordinary people with extraordinary God, okay? You may be called to something similar. If you are, follow that call. But you are called to someone tomorrow. You're called to your husband, you're called to your wife, you're called to your family, and you know if you sat down right now when you went home and you thought about folks at your workplace, and I said, write down lost people in your workplace, all of you come up with five or ten names. Remember, mission to a location is a unique calling. Mission to people is not. It's the requirement of the Christian, amen? If you want to plant a church in Iowa, maybe I can help you out a little bit. I've done it for a couple years, okay? Maybe none of you will do it. But all of you have been called to where God already has you, and that is in your neighborhood. The motto of our church at Redemption Hill is taking the glory of God, taking the gospel of God, I should say, to our neighbors, our networks, and the nations. The nations need Jesus. Longview Point, the GIC is a great thing. Sign your names up for those trips. If you don't know Sioux City, springtime, there's almost not snow on the ground. We'd love to have you, okay? But pray you know your neighbor's names and know if they have Jesus or not. You'll find out a lot of them don't. And it's your job to tell them because you know them and you've been called by God.